Good morning. How are y'all? That wasn't very convincing. I know it's daylight savings time, but we made extra coffee. So, hey, I'm Pastor Jason, if you don't know, and man, I'm so glad to see you guys. I'm so glad to be with you. All your smiling faces just like fill my heart up, like, like really big, you know, makes it pound really hard. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. I, I'm just kind of, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, man, I, I am so excited about closing out this sermon series today because it's been so good. Um, you know, speaking of that, let's begin. Um, we're in our fifth and final week of our current ser- sermon series, Radical Generosity. And man, I hope the Lord has been speaking to you and challenging you through this series. I know it has really spoke to me personally And made me think long and hard about some of my choices that I make in a day-to-day level regarding my resources. And from the very beginning, that's what this series was meant to do. Its sole purpose was to get us to look at our money and other resources in a new light. To help us rethink what we can bring to the table. To help us see with fresh eyes what we truly treasure. A lot of this current sermon series came, from, came out of a book called The Treasure Principle uh, by Randy Alcorn. And, and this is a phenomenal book. Um, and I actually have a copy here to give away. Um, so in the seat pockets in front of you, one of them has a blue post-it note that's marked winner. So anybody who finds the post-it note gets the book. Oh, sorry. I should have stuck some under the seats. Anybody find a blue post-it note? No way! Alright, come on up. Come grab it, dude. Yeah! What's your name? Hey, I'm Jason. Nice to meet you. So, so Man, I am so glad to, to be rid of that book because I've been meaning to give it back to Ricardo for like a month. And now I don't have to worry about it. So, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Man, um, we've been talking in this series about how sometimes in the church we limit the conversation of generosity to just drumming up enough money to keep the church lights on, right? And, and while of course that's, that's important that we like have light during our service and that we have power in the building so this microphone can be on, you know, and, and like that's important of course, but that's not where the conversation should end, Because there's so much more to generosity than that. Generosity, as we've been saying throughout this series, is the overflow of love. And many times the fact is, where we put our money, our heart follows. So in this series, we've been asking the question, what would it look like for God to inspire a culture of true generosity in us? Not only for the church, but for those in need all around us. Because generosity is not giving everything away. It's realizing that we have everything to give. Which can be a hard perspective to keep because we live in a world that is driven by having the right things and acquiring as much money as we can. It can be difficult for us to keep our attentions focused on giving when we are completely surrounded by a world that is focused on getting. 
I went to my first ever NBA game this last Thursday. That's basketball for you non-sporty people. And, and uh, basketball? Oh, Lakers, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and a friend of mine's company gave her some tickets to go to the game, and she thought of actually, she actually thought of Mark and I. And any Lakers fans in the house today? Okay, okay. Because, good, because, good, good, because I'm from Ohio, and I'm a huge Cleveland Cavs fan, and, and we, we mopped the floor with you guys on Thursday. So, um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Go Clippers, right. Uh, so here's Mark and I at the game, right? And, uh, right? So, so this is before the game, and this is when the game started to get serious. We like, we like, you know, we got mad, but, um, no, I'm just kidding. It became a rivalry. Take that away. I, I don't want to, I don't want to look at that. Um, <laughs> thank you, James. Uh, I have to admit, it was a little weird being in this huge arena, right, full of Lakers fans, and I'm cheering for the opposing team, right? Like, I got my, like, Cavs shirt on, my Cavs hat on, and, you know, I definitely remember thinking that if this game turns ugly, like, I'm definitely going to be in serious trouble, but... But thankfully, everyone were good sports, and even with the Lakers losing, um, the weirdest thing of the whole night, this was just hilarious to me afterwards, but it was extremely frustrating during the night. It was that I kept accidentally cheering for the Lakers. (laughs) Like, every time Kobe made a shot, the crowd would erupt like like they had just like won the championship or something, like every single basket that Kobe made, and and... Every time I would find myself clapping, you know, and, and then the fight song would come on and it'd be like, let's go Lakers. And I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want the Lakers to go. Ah, darn it. And then I would catch myself, right, and pretend like I wasn't clapping, like, you know. And by the end of the night, I must have looked like a crazy person because I definitely was talking to myself. Like, they would be like, let's go Lakers. And I'd be like, no, no, you don't. Ah, darn it. It was hard keeping my team straight because as a Cavs fan when so many voices around me were so loud. And I think that being a Christian sometimes can be like that, especially when it comes to living, especially when it comes to giving rather, uh, versus getting. Whether it's commercials or, uh, a competitive relationship, or even in our work environment, the voices around us are so loudly telling us that we need more and better stuff, that before we know it, we're caught up in clapping for the wrong team, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. But nobody's saying it's easy either. I think the very heart of this series is embodied in a story that we studied in the very first week of this series. And if you didn't catch all of this series, you can always go back on the podcast and, and catch up. But, but the scripture, the story goes like this. The scriptures told us that a group of over 5,000 people listening to Jesus teach in a secluded place. And, and it was late and they became hungry and the disciples came to Jesus and said, send these people away, let them go get something to eat. And Jesus basically says, no, you, you go give them something to eat. 
And the disciples were baffled at this, right? And they, they came to Jesus thinking he is unaware that, that of the fact that this enormous crowd is getting hangry, right? And Jesus says, no, don't send them away. You feed them, right? Right? And, and so the disciples go away and they drum up a small amount of food. That had been given to them by a little boy. Jesus gives thanks for the food that they had and tells them to begin to distribute it. The disciples, I'm sure, were thrilled with the task of giving out five loaves and two fish to a crowd of over 5,000. Right? I'm sure they were thrilled about that. But as they did, this amazing thing happened. As they began to distribute the food, they never ran out. It wasn't that Jesus blessed the food and all of a sudden the baskets were full and overflowing to the brim. It was that they took what little they had. They placed it in the hands of the Father. And because they were prompted by Jesus, they proceeded to give the little bit of food that they had out and out of obedience. And they just never ran out. One of the hardest parts about following Jesus is that sometimes the numbers... They just don't add up. But he still asks us to be obedient with what we do have, and he will take care of the rest. I think the fear of the numbers not adding up is a huge stumbling block of a lot of people when it comes to giving. But the Lord always is faithful and is always right on time for those who are obedient to him. I remember one time... I'm probably going to butcher this story, but bear with me. Uh, I remember one time shortly after Kim and I were married, right? And, and it was like probably around year three of marriage, so like ten years ago. And, um, and uh, we were dead broke. Like, I mean broke as a joke. And the joke was not funny. Like... Kim was working at Starbucks in Riverside, and I had a job maintenancing ATM machines all over Southern California. And I know, I know, it sounds glamorous, but man, it wasn't. <laughs> we lived in this one-bedroom apartment that I've referenced in other messages, and that this one-bedroom apartment that we could barely pay for. And we had a car that was like a total, total lemon, just like a black of money, right? Did anybody have one of those cars ever in their life? Yeah, for sure. And and I remember one Sunday, Kim began to write out our tithe check, and, and she said, and as, as she did, she kind of just stopped for a moment, and she looked at me, and she said, if we write out this check, we won't have any money to buy food for a couple of weeks. And... We both thought about it for a while, a long while, and wrestling with knowing that the amount that we were giving was not going to like in any way, shape, or form break God or even break the church. And, and that if we just held on to it, we would for sure be able to eat. And in the end, we both came to the conclusion that we should write the check and be obedient, right? And and later that evening, we went to our small group, and one of the members of the small group said privately to the other members, I don't know why, but I just feel like we need to take an offering for the day, family. And they did. And in the end, our small group gave us $50 over the check that we had just written in tithe to the church. And 
The numbers didn't add up, but we were obedient. And the Lord was faithful. Just out of curiosity, are there any others in this room with similar stories where they just like barely had enough to, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we could go around this room for a long time and just listen to stories of the Lord's faithfulness and provision. But I found this amazing quote from John Wesley that really sums it up. And and it goes like this. Uh, If you don't know, John Wesley was a minister and theologian from the 1700s. And he said this, Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. And that's the heart of the matter, right? Our hearts. Because God doesn't need our money, but He doesn't want, but He does want our hearts. And wisely, He knows that where our money goes, our hearts will follow. By being obedient when the numbers didn't add up, Kim and I were saying, Lord, you have our hearts. You have our trust. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which is where we're going to turn to today, we find Paul in the middle of a letter to the church in Corinth. He wrote to this church for a number of reasons, but the reasons we're going to focus on today is that the church had made a commitment to help in the relief efforts of suffering believers in Jerusalem, and they had not followed through with it. The church in Corinth was a very diverse group of people. It did include some Jewish converts, but was mostly made up of Gentiles, which was just everybody else that wasn't Jewish. And some people within the church were poor and had been slaves. Others had prominent jobs within the city and were well off. And while the diversity was a good thing, it also caused some internal conflict within the church. And the city of Corinth was generally known as a city devoted to pleasure-seeking. It was a center for Greek culture and for... Busy, it was a, and a busy commercial city with a cosmopolitan atmosphere that brought together people and customs from different parts of the world. Pagan religions with sexual rites and ceremonies existed, and both materialism and uh, immorality were ex- the accepted order of the day. And what we can gather from Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, they were having trouble not not adapting to their their culture around them. And in our scriptures for today, they had not completed a work that they had committed to participate in. Paul himself had been going around to many areas preaching the gospel and along the way taking up a collection for the believers in Jerusalem that were suffering. And like I said, the church in Corinth had committed to be a part of this collection but had allowed other things to get in the way of their actually doing it. And so Paul begins in chapter 8 by telling them this wild story about how the churches in Macedonia, even though they were suffering from extreme poverty, had, had contributed. And he gently reminds the church of Corinth that it's more than just like giving money. It's actually an act of grace. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Starting at verse 1, we read, and and the words are up here, it will be up here on the screen if you want to read along, if you don't have your Bible with you. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, 
Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So right from verse 1, right, Paul refers to what has happened in the Macedonian churches as the grace of God. And usually when you hear that phrase, the grace of God, it usually refers to someone being provided for in some way. Like, by the grace of God, all the bills are paid. Or, by the grace of God, I made it through another work week. Or even, by the grace of God, I didn't scream my head off at my children today. Like, but, and stay with me here, Paul begins to tell the church in Corinth that in a movement of God's grace... The churches of Macedonia have taken part wholeheartedly in giving to the believers in Jerusalem. So why is that so special? It's special because the Macedonian churches have been under severe trials. The kind of trials that could leave a city in ruins. And it's people in extreme poverty. And when I say extreme poverty, I mean like rock bottom poverty. And in verse 2, he says... For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Is it me or are those two words that you don't hear together very often, like joy and and poverty? And not just a little bit, but an abundance of joy and an an extreme poverty. But even within this context, Paul tells the church at Corinth about how, even in the midst of these circumstances, the Macedonian church, by the grace of God, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. He continues on in verse 3 and 4 and says, For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This statement mean, this statement's meaning is, is, is kind of subtle, but also so important for us today. Paul says that the Macedonian churches gave according to their means, which as we already discussed wasn't a lot, but they didn't stop there. They looked at what they could afford and then they gave beyond that. And it wasn't because Paul was like there shaking an offering plate in their, in their faces like Terry does sometimes. You know, like... <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, no, just kidding. It wasn't because Paul was there like shaking the offering plate in their faces. It came from the overflow of love from their hearts. And, 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 and the overflow of their love of what God was going to do in Jerusalem. And in verse 4... They begged 
They begged earnestly, which means sincerely, to take part in the relief of the saints. When was the last time you begged for the privilege to give to someone else who needed relief? Like, I know for me that's been a... never. (laughs) Right? And in verse 5, Paul makes sure to point out that their giving wasn't a result of guilt, but because they gave themselves fully over to the Lord. He says in verse 5, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. See, I feel like sometimes today, we get that last part backwards. Right? Like we are so willing to give ourselves to like a ministry or like a church or like a pastor, but we neglect to give ourselves fully over to the Lord first. It's easy to jump on board with something that we know is good, right? But when we fully give ourselves over to God, He will give us a better understanding of how He can best use us to further His kingdom. In this case, because the Macedonian churches were fully given over to God, he prompted them to give themselves fully over to Paul's ministry. And in turn, resulted in this huge movement of grace. So why did I say it was subtle? I think the reason, I think it's subtle because the reason why Paul is excited about this event is is not because of the amount that was given, Paul is excited about the heart that it was given with. As we are already, as we've already discussed, the Macedonian churches were extremely poor. So I seriously doubt that the actual offering they gave added up to all that much. But the heart it was given with was worth celebrating. The actual number of what was given is of little concern to God, but they gave beyond what was comfortable for them because they first gave themselves fully over to God. They recognized the leading of God for a radical outpouring of grace through generosity, and they gave with their whole hearts. Which is what God cares about most. Our hearts. And in verse 6 and 7, Paul goes on to tell the church in Corinth that accordingly we urged Titus, which he's another believer that works with Paul and, and the Corinthian church know and trust him, and he actually began this offering, this work. So accordingly we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul says, guys, even though you're believers and we love you, you have let the city around you affect your willingness to fully submit to the Lord. He basically says you're a Cavs fan at a Lakers game. And you're having trouble remembering what team you're clapping for, right? So I'm going to send Titus to help you remember and finish the good work you desire to do. 
And in verse 7, and this is so cool, I love this verse, Paul says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I think this scripture is so cool because Paul recognizes that being generous is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Especially when we have more to lose. Like, it's funny how the more we have, two things begin to happen. Uh, we hold on to what we have tighter, and most of the time we want more, and what we have isn't enough. And Paul reminds the Corinthian church in verse 7 that just like they work hard at excelling and being a good speaker, or being sharp and knowledgeable about the gospel, they must also excel in giving, which he refers to as an act of grace. Too many times we put giving in a whole other category from those other practices. But Paul says even though it doesn't come naturally, we should practice generosity just like we practice the discipline of reading the Bible or any other aspect of discipleship. Most believers would perish the thought of getting to a certain point in our faith where we actually um, stop growing in faith and knowledge and love. I mean, that's just crazy talk to me. We're always trying to grow in faith. We're always trying to grow in love. But yet we decide, and I say we, we decide to fix, we decide a fixed percentage of our money and we stay there for life. And I don't mean that as a slam on those people, but as a challenge. And I believe that's the way Paul meant it too. Generosity may not come easy to us, but just like it takes work and discipline for some of us to stay in the Word of God, for others of us, generosity needs the same discipline. So you may be wondering, where is the practical side of this sermon? Like, like when am I going to go all pastory on you and, and present like the, the seven steps to help you be more generous? And look, oh my gosh, the words make this cool acronym, right? You know, like... Like, you're probably wondering when that part's coming, right? Well, I, 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 I don't have seven steps for you today. When it comes to generosity, I'm reminded of what my son's first grade teacher said to us when he was struggling with reading. He said, I mean, she said, the, the seven steps for a child to get better at reading are read, 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 right? So I say to you, when it comes to getting better at generosity, the seven steps you should follow are give, 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 right? Give when it's uncomfortable. Give when, uh, you know, when the numbers don't add up. Give to a homeless person that needs food. You know, give, contribute to, there are thousands of homeless high schoolers in our city I'm not talking about L.A., I'm not talking about a country far away, I'm talking about our city, thousands of homeless high schoolers. Support a work in there. Like, you want to get better at generosity, you want to get better at giving? Do it. Some things you have to do to get better at them. And I know that you don't need me to tell you where your generosity is needed. That's the Lord's job. He will stir your heart for exactly when and where you should give outside of your regularly scheduled giving. But remember, first, you have to fully submit yourself to Him. Not out of guilt, 
but out of pure desire to be used by Him. And secondly, remember that it's not just giving money. It's an act of grace. As the worship team comes, we're going to go just a little further in 2 Corinthians. We find that in verse 8 and 9, Paul gives us a reminder that as believers, we are benefactors of a radical act of generosity. He says in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. In verse 8, Paul reiterates what we've been saying during this whole sermon series, that generosity is the overflow of love. People will know your love is genuine because of how you give. Because where your money goes, your heart will follow. And in verse 9, he reminds us that the Father never asks us for something that He isn't willing to do Himself. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Paul reminds us that for Jesus, the numbers, they didn't add up. But He gave anyways so that we may have eternal life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave all that He had in the heavenly realms. He gave it all up to become a man who walked the earth. Though He lived a sinless life, He died a sinner's death on a cross. So that you and I could be in right relationship with the Father again. And because of His humanity, His humility on the cross, followed by His victory over the grave, our sin would no longer separate us from the love of God. And all of this because God so loved the world that He gave His only Son That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 So are you trying to submit your life to God, but the noise around you is so loud that's making you feel a little lost? Maybe you're struggling to fully hand over your heart to God because you have allowed your heart to follow the wrong kind of treasure. Or maybe you're firm in your faith, but you've been challenged by this series to rethink how you view the resources that God has blessed you with. You may be finding it hard to be obedient because the numbers, they just aren't adding up. In either case, I can wholeheartedly say I understand. 
I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're wrestling with. And I want to pray for you. So would you would everybody in this place just bow your heads, close your eyes? I want to pray for you. Father God, we come before you benefactors of your radical generosity, Lord. You gave your one and only son to die on a sinner's death on a cross for us. Lord, we take just a moment to let that sink in, Lord. Father, through through Jesus that overcome the grave, He overcame the grave. We can stand in right relationship with You again, Lord. So I just... I want to ask you guys right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I don't, I don't do this very often, but I just feel it in the room right now that there is someone who needs to experience that radical generosity for themselves for the first time right now. So if you feel like you want to invite Jesus into your heart right now, would you just slip your hand up and put your hand down? see it. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? If there's hesitation inside of you, I urge you, take the leap. Father God, thank you that there are people that are experiencing that generosity, that radical generosity of your son right now, Lord, for the first time. If that's you, I want you to pray with me. You can pray silently or out loud. Father God, I submit myself to you fully. I recognize that your son Jesus being fully God and fully man came to this earth and died a sinner's death on a cross and was resurrected on the third day and that because he lives still I accept your eternal life Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in this place, Lord. Lord, if we are struggling with gripping onto what we have so tightly, Lord, I pray that you would loosen our grip, God. Come before you with open hands so you can put things in and take things out as you see fit. God, we give you our hearts.
Lord, I pray You encourage those that are struggling. Lord, I pray that You lift the weary, God. Because even as we struggle, we can choose joy. As we turn our, our attention to Your offering now, Lord, we bring before You what is already Yours, God. And as the ushers come, Jesus, we just again give You what's already Yours, Lord. We love You, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.